This is the Create the Smarts podcast where you will learn to leverage your online following into a profitable, future-proof education business that you control without being at the mercy of sponsors or algorithm changes. Each week we interview the world's leading creators to find out what strategies they use to diversify, stabilize and grow their businesses. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, this is your Dutch friend Jan and you are listening to episode 108 of the Creator Smarts podcast. You know that we here at uh, Creator Smarts, we help creators like you to build a future-proof business off YouTube and other social media platforms so that you don't have to rely on algorithm changes and sponsorship deals. Now, this you know, so-called creator economy is all relatively new, but in today's episode, I'm talking to somebody who has a very similar vision to ours, and he's a very well-known name in the industry. His name is Reed Dutcher, and he manages some of the biggest YouTubers on the planet, including Mr. Beast, Preston, Typical Gamer, and Unspeakable. Um, yeah, he basically helps his creators to build companies, um, including applications, um, and he recently even launched a fast food chain for Mr. Beast. So in this interview today, we're going to talk about how his clients diversify, um, why his clients are performing better on YouTube than everybody else, um, when is it a good time to start a second channel, a second YouTube channel, and we're also going to talk about the industry and about the uh, the future of the creator economy, because Reed says that creators will be the next big TV networks like Nickelodeon. So, and he's going to explain what he means by that. So this is, um, I was really looking forward to this interview. I uh, really enjoyed it. Lots of interesting insight, very inspirational. And um, I hope that you're going to like it. So without further ado, let's get started. Here's my interview with Reed. Hey Reed, welcome to the Creator Smarts podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So uh, just to, I don't know how much you want me to back up here, but I currently am the CEO of Night Media. We represent a lot of the creators in the YouTube space. I'm sure uh, your listeners have heard of a few of our clients. One is Mr. Beast, who's been a client of mine since early 2018. Uh, We represent ZHC and a few other creators in the space. And we really focus on the top channels in each content vertical, Um, top lifestyle, top uh, arts and crafts, top food, uh, and that's where we're positioned as Night Media as a management company that really powers what they're doing with their businesses. Yeah, so you work for about 15 clients, if that's correct. Yeah. Um, Mr. Beat, Preston, Unspeakable. Those clients have about 350 million subscribers combined. Um, that's about 20 million on average. That's pretty crazy. And two and a half billion views per month, right? Um I've listened to many podcast interviews that you've done on other people's podcasts. So I know a little bit about your backstory. Just for the people who haven't heard about you before, tell us a little bit about where you're coming from and how you ended up in this industry. Yeah, so I, I actually came from the sports industry. I was an NFL sports agent representing football players uh, early on after I graduated college. Ended up stumbling upon a YouTube channel named Dude Perfect in 20, this would have been early 2014. Started like uh, bringing brands uh, like Callaway Golf and Topps Trading Cards uh, and started working with Dude Perfect a little bit after I had exited that sports agency uh, and really saw the rise of some of these other creators that were on Justin TV and now uh, which is Twitch and, and working their way over to YouTube gaming. And so I ended up working with a creator called uh, named Typical Gamer 
who at the time in late 2015 was small, um, but I had just started Night Media and I was just trying to get my feet wet in the gaming industry. Uh, and Typical Gamer was like that first client within Night Media. And he was predominantly just a live streamer. But now, like fast forward to today, he's the biggest live streamer on YouTube. He has 11 million <laughs> subscribers uh, and he's had an amazing career that you know I've been blessed to be a part of. Um, and yeah, so that that's kind of how I got into this industry. You know, we've obviously pivoted outside of just a gaming management company that now represents uh, clients that span, you know, food and beverage, lifestyle. We have a few arts and crafts channels like ZHC and Mariah Elizabeth. Uh, and so we're more like a fully, you know, a multifaceted management company that also has like an internal venture studio and venture capital firm. Yeah, really looking forward to learning more about that. First, take us back to that first meeting with Dude Perfect. Um, how did you meet him and how did he convince you how did he how did he convince you to 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 quit your job and, and jump in this <laughs> new space yeah they they didn't actually convince me at all as a decision I made because I thought that this is where the attention was going I, I you know was a little worried for the sports industry in uh, in 2014 2015 because all my little cousins were watching dude perfect and they no longer cared about the NFL. And so it was a decision that I made to leave that sports agency. And the first conversation actually was a cold call. Uh, I was just making phone calls and trying to get a hold of them. And I ended up getting through and, you know, they were looking for help. And it was a little bit of a right, right time situation for them of, hey, we're looking for help. This guy is like at a, a pretty reputable sports agency and is, mm-hmm. is offering his assistance. And so a little bit of right place, right time. Uh, and then I fast forward, you know, three, four months, I had left, it was in Las Vegas at the time and had left and drove to Dallas with not, uh, not much money in my bank account, but you know, I, I believed in, you know, what this YouTube industry could turn into. That's really interesting. So you just call him up, you knew, you knew who yeah. he was. He didn't know you. And... Well, it was, it's five, five guys. They had no idea who I was. Um, I, I think I had initially found an email. Uh, on the internet, and I sent the e- I sent them an email. I can't remember what I said, uh, but they they literally emailed me back ten minutes later, and then I was on the phone a phone you know a phone call with them. But again, this was pretty early on. You know, they now have sixty. I don't even know what they're at. Sixty two million, sixty million subscribers at that time. I think they were still under three million. So it was, it was pretty early days of YouTube, and three million at that time was considered massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I mean, they were looking for help. They were trying to figure out how to like monetize outside of just AdSense. They didn't have a merchandise company yet. Uh, so it was still, it was still very early. Tell us about, I'm just really interested. Tell us about that, that first phone call. What was your idea? How did you convince them to, to work with you or how did you initially build that relationship? Mm-hmm. It was multiple phone calls. I think the first call was just kind of a get to know you. Are you guys you know, needing any help, like where can I provide assistance? I think I figured this out pretty early on that yeah. my, the, the relationships that I started building were never going to start with an ask or me asking them to work with me or sign with me or anything like that. I was just trying to provide value wherever I could. Yeah. And for them, it was on bringing new brands, like uh, I said, Callaway Golf, Top Trading Cards, DirecTV into their ecosystem, sponsoring their videos. That's where they needed the most help. And so then I was just set, pretty heads down trying to figure out how I educate this this agency ad agency market on why they should be spending money with Dude Perfect and not spending money on you know NFL players and NBA players and so that's that's really where most of my focus went and I just had to pres- I just had to provide value to them over the course of the next few months so they trusted me yeah so what were some of the first things that you did for them was it 
finding sponsors? Mm. The first thing that I did, um, I thought that they were doing a very good job in traditional sports, football, basketball, and they'd started to do a little bit in soccer where I thought that there was a, a lot of upside for them at that time in, in early 2015 was in golf. And so I knew that, you know, we had worked with a few um, golfers at that time at the agency. So I knew what kind of money was in the market. And I thought there was an interesting white space for a creator like Dude Perfect to enter the market that had a predominantly younger audience that probably didn't care about golf, um, but should be watching, you know, Ricky Fowler and some of these young kids. And so the first phone call I made was to a friend of mine who was at an agency that represented Callaway Golf. And that conversation uh, started off a little rocky because he didn't know who Dude Perfect was. So I had to educate him on that fact. And after we got over that hurdle, uh, he got me on the phone with, uh, I believe his name was Harry Arnett, who actually I think now works with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and Harry was the CMO of uh, Callaway Golf. And so it was really selling him on why Callaway Golf should enter this market and how it would be beneficial. And then fast forward three months, like we had the first deal with Callaway Golf and they were filming long drive trick shots with uh, long drive champion Jamie Sidlowski. Well, was there a way for them to track the success of the campaign? Yeah, so how we did it uh, in 2015, and, and they still kind of do this today, is there's like an annotation or a clickable link at the end of a, a YouTube video. And so for those of you who have watched a Dude Perfect video, you've probably seen this at the end where they say, hey, thanks to so-and-so sponsor um, for sponsoring this video. Click up in the right-hand corner to go visit their website, to purchase golf balls, to do whatever that call to action is. And so at that time, the metrics that we were using was really just the clicks that that link yeah. was receiving at the end of the video. And then also the amount of views that that video is getting. Those were like the two metrics that were important at that time. Yeah. How confident were you that that first deal was going to be beneficial for all parties? So for do perfect for you and for the company? Yeah, I, I knew that it was definitely going to be beneficial from a monetary perspective for Dude Perfect and for the agency that I was at, because I knew like the deal had to be large because they pulled a, a considerable amount of views per video. I think the question mark was on the Callaway golf side of how are how is Callaway going to like actualize ROI on this? Like, is it actually going to work for them? Is it going to be a complete whiff? Uh, that was the big question mark. And, and then I think finally after the video launched, their expectations were completely shattered of what this video is going to do for their brand. We had had uh, like extra footage on a separate Callaway website with uh, Dude Perfect and, and some of the Callaway uh, influencers. And so the traffic that went to that website to watch those extra videos was, was amazing. And so Callaway Golf, about a month later, came back to negotiate the second deal, yeah. um, which was then to promote these like Truvis golf balls that had dots on them that supposedly made the golf ball look bigger when you were looking down at it. Um, which was also a very successful campaign for them. So that to me was the biggest question mark at the time. Yeah. And then you knew that you have you had a company in hands when that was working. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we knew we had a company that believed in Dude Perfect that was starting to experiment in this digital creator space that had made a considerable investment uh, with a creator that still, I'd say, was up and coming um, at that point in time. And so it was, it was a massive win for both parties um, and still is today. I mean, the guys like still use the Callaway golf clubs. Like they, they actually um, the social head of social media at Callaway golf at that time 
whose name was Chad, actually is the head of social at Dude Perfect now. Oh, uh, so really? they ended up taking Whoa. a few of the employees uh, years later. When you so you started working with Dude, when was that? Was it 2015? 2014 was 2014. when I uh, had met Dude Perfect. Yeah. Were there other talent management agencies out there back in the day? Did you have it an example mostly, of what you wanted to be? Yeah. It was mostly MCNs, uh, and for the people who don't know what that, that word is, it's multi-channel network. Yeah. And an MCN, some of the, the most prominent ones are Maker Studios, which was acquired by Disney, Fullscreen, which was acquired by, I believe, Warner Brothers. Uh, and so what MCNs were doing was they were really rounding up as many channels as they could, and they were taking a percentage of their AdSense. And at that time, they were also telling people they were managers and they were being their managers. But you know, it's really hard to play that game when you have 10,000 clients. Uh, and so I knew pretty early on that the MCN model, at least the current model of what an MCN was, wasn't what I wanted my company to become. I understood that there was going to be creators at the high level, at like the macro level, that needed a lot more help than what the MCNs were providing. Yeah. And so really at that time, that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to find the biggest creators that need the most help, that understand they have a lot of value, but they just don't know how to grow. They don't know who to hire. And so that's where I really started focusing. But the Night Media was never going to become a, let's just sign as many creators as possible and sprint. That was never the goal. Yeah, so you only work with a small selected group of 15, about 15 mm -hmm. uh, YouTubers. Tell us a little bit about what exactly you do for those guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously changes depending on who the client is. But yeah. I mean, the, probably the most, um, probably the best example is Mr. Beast, um, yeah. who I personally manage um, still to this day and have managed since 2018. And so when I met Jimmy, he had a couple employees. It was Chris and an editor. Um, but at that time, was still pretty early at 2 million subscribers. He knew what he wanted to do. It's just he needed help. He needed someone to come in um, and help the, the company make money. His, his videos weren't really monetizing very early on because they, you know, for the most part, were under 10 minutes, which means you can't run a mid-roll. It's just like a pre-roll ad then, um, which is like from a CPM basis is pretty small. And so someone had to come in and bring brand sponsorships in. Yeah. He needed to completely rehaul how he was thinking about merchandise and his apparel business. And so that's something that we had to dig into. He, um, he also really needed help hiring and identifying like what a in-house production team for a YouTube creator looks like. And so that's something that him and I had a lot of conversations early on in 2018, 2019 about like, what is this team? What are the different pillars? Who do we all need to be successful? How do I increase my upload volume? Um, and so for us, like we really play that, like what we like to say is an outsourced COO role. And for Jimmy, I mean, we're so far in the weeds. We're, we're doing all his like budgeting. Um, we know how much he spends per video. We're, you know, we, so it's like, we're, we're pretty far in the weeds there. And then we're also like, we're partners with him in a lot of these businesses. Yeah. Uh, people have probably heard of Mr. Beast Burger. We just expanded into the UK. We're working across other parts of Europe right now. Really? Uh, we, uh, we're launching another company here shortly that we'll announce. We obviously have a software company that did finger on the app one finger on the app two. And so we're, we're also business partners with most of our clients in their other endeavors. And those are the, that's the role we really like to play. Yeah. Can you, can you share how many businesses you co-own nowadays and how do you manage so many businesses? Do you do everything yourself or you have a manager for each business? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it just to back up a little bit to talk about like how's Night Media structured. So yeah. we really look at Night Media as a, a stool with having three legs. And we think that over the next decade, this is what most digital talent management companies, at least successful talent management companies should look like. And so you have the first uh, leg of the stool, which is your 360 management department. For us, it's it's 360 management focused on the number one or number two creators in each content vertical. The second leg of that stool is like a pseudo venture studio that has a separate team that's not on the management team. So our employees in the management side of the business are mostly talent managers, coordinators, uh, and then a few other people. Our, our venture studio team uh, is very operationally heavy. Uh, we have a lot of product people uh, hired into that that company, and that executes um, some of these other businesses that you've seen, like Finger on the App and Mr. Beast Burger. And then we have a third leg of, uh, of the stool, which is new, um, but it's a venture. It's a venture capital firm. It's a twenty million dollar fund that invests in emerging software, uh, creator economy, and then a little bit of gaming. Yeah. And so that's really how Night Media is structured. And then there's employees in each of those three. Um, yeah buckets mm -hmm. right and so i i oversee you know all three of them at a very high level i still manage jimmy on a day-to-day -day basis but i'm also like a gp in the venture fund and i i at a, again at a high level see most of the venture studio deals that we're partners in with our creators okay so one of those divisions is um well basically a division that helps those creators build their own companies yeah off youtube yeah it helps them build businesses where they can really leverage the distribution that they've created, yeah. right? And it takes a lot of planning and it takes a lot of um, like time and effort to figure out like what what is that business or what are those businesses? And then where we've really focused with our venture studio is we, we're, we're really good at getting a company from zero to one. And now where we're getting with most of these businesses now is we need to bring in a CEO, like an executive team plus a CEO to get, get it from one to 10. Yeah. Right. And that's like where a lot of our focus is right now is just hiring really good teams to execute. So you launch a company like Mr. Beesberger and now it's time to, to hire a CEO, maybe an operational manager who yep. who's going to grow the thing from one to 10. Exactly. Yeah. Social media team, uh, product managers, logistics, like it's, you know, we're, we're, we're in the weeds on hiring a bunch of different people right now across those businesses. Yeah. Can you give a few more examples of companies that you help um, your clients build or maybe companies that other creators in the industry build? Because this is something new, right? Like five years yeah. ago, creators were not, maybe they were selling some online info products, but they were not starting their own fast food chain or their own, maybe an app. <laughs> Um, they were not doing all those crazy things yet, right? So can you maybe give a few examples just for our audience to to yeah. to get some inspiration and to see what's possible in, in the industry? Well, I think it's a little bit of barrier to entry too is a lot higher than say like launch, a, launch an apparel or merchandise business for a creator is pretty easy, right? There's a lot of companies that support that from Fanjoy to Teesprings, like you name it, I can point you in the right direction. Starting a, like a software company or even a CPG business is a lot more complex um, than just like, hey, I want to put this logo on this hoodie and t-shirt. And so I think that's why we haven't seen a lot of creators really step into this realm because you really need you know team and help and, and everything else to execute on some of this. Uh, I think some good examples, uh, at least that I've seen in the last like six to eight months, I think Emma Chamberlain, um, Emma Chamberlain Coffee is probably a good example. Mm. 
um, of something that she launched with, um, I think she launched it with UTA. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's, it's her coffee line. I'm not hundred percent sure if they have retail exposure yet, but that's one that kind of stands out to me. Uh, I know the ACE family has like a, like a beverage company, like a juice company that has a little bit of, of retail exposure. So we're seeing CPG, uh, a little more now software is the one that will probably be the most interesting over the next five years, but again, has the highest barrier of entry and usually is the most cost. It has the highest cost to get into that. And so, you know, for us, like we're going to do some, some software businesses with our creators, but those are big swings. Um, and those require a lot of work and, you know, engineers and competent teams. And so we're treading a little lightly on those businesses right now. Um, but there is some creator-led businesses, like I just said, you know, two of them that I think are doing incredibly well. That you know, I, hopefully, cha- like Emma Chamberlain's coffee brand, you know, will be in Walmart and Target or Whole Foods or whatever the plan is for that. But I think we're like we haven't even rounded first plate base. Like we're still in the first inning. Yeah. What are some examples of software? I mean, you guys have uh, launched Finger mm-hmm. on the app, right? Basically, an application yeah. where. I think a million people played it simultaneously, right? Where they had to hold yeah. a finger on the phone and the last one to leave it off the phone one. Um, or like the last, I think in the end, you gave the last eight people that that last like 20K each or what was that? Yeah, so we did uh, two versions. So the second version uh, happened about two months ago. We had uh, 1.6 million players that started <laughs> to play the game. Uh, I can't remember how many hours it lasted. I think it was right around like 55 hours. Uh, the winner got $100,000 and we paid out, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000. Jimmy and I were kind of making phone calls, negotiating <laughs> with people to take their finger off their phone. That's like a, a decent example. Um, that company was created about six months ago. It's called Beast Games. Uh, and it's really just our, like Jimmy wants a, a gaming company that that is making Really, the thesis of the company at the current moment is to make games that engage his whole community, similar to what he does on his YouTube channel, where he does like last to leave circle or last to take hand off car. We want to be able to do things like that for his whole community. Um, Now, they're incredibly complex to build, uh, and they take a lot more time than just like launching a hoodie or a hat. And so it's just taken time for us to find the right team, the right software developers. Um, But that's probably a good example. I'm trying to think of something else in the software space that a creator has done, but nothing's like coming top of mind. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Mr. The Mr. Beast Burger, where people can mm-hmm. order burgers. Um, you're basically drop shipping burger, burgers, right? So people can order a burger on their phone, and then there is a local restaurant that will uh, pick up the order and will deliver it to the front door of the customer. Um, 300 locations. The first time you launch it, right, all over the States. You said now you're yeah. also expanding into other markets, the UK. Um, yeah, just sharing some ideas here um, for our listeners to see what's possible in the industry. Now, we see a lot of creators that are reaching millions of subscribers, but they're massively holding themselves back because they don't want to build a team or invest in business education. What will you tell, what will you tell those people? Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, everyone has different goals. That's a question that I ask when I meet a creator. It's like, how big do you want this? Where do you want to take it? What are your goals as a creator? Obviously some of them want to be the biggest in the industry. They want to be, you know, they want to be entrepreneurs. They want to take risk. And that's not for most of them. Most of them just want to have a successful career. They want to not be able to worry about money, but they want to be creative and, 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 
and you know just be able to focus on content. So it really comes down to the creator. I think one core thing that we've focused on at Night Media when we've looked at new clients is we only it's like a motto now that you know we have on the wall is like we don't sign creators, we sign entrepreneurs. I think that's like really core to our business is if we truly believe that you know, creators or individuals will build the next multi-billion dollar businesses, then we need the creators that want to take risk and want to be entrepreneurs. And so that's one thing we focus on. But I meet a lot of creators that like just want to be content creators and that's fine. That's their goals. They're just probably not right for night media. Yeah. So you only want to work with creators who have the ambition to become an entrepreneur and you help them with that. Exactly. Yeah. So do you think that every creator should try to to build their own company that doesn't depend on, on YouTube? I don't think so. I think most creators should focus on what they love, which is usually creating content. Uh, building businesses are very difficult. It's high stress. Um, usually you have to hire and fire multiple times throughout the course of like that, that company. So it's definitely not for everyone. Um, I, I, I don't, it, and again, like it, the question is that like, it really comes back to like, what does that individual want to accomplish? Yeah. And I've just seen, you know, from talking to a lot of different creators over the course of the past four years that most of them just want to be content creators. They don't want to be entrepreneurs. They don't want to build massive businesses. Um, they don't want to take huge risk with their career. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Um, there's a lot of places, a lot of social platforms where you can create content like YouTube and TikTok and Facebook or Snapchat that are monetizing very well where there's significant upside. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about diversifying them because we all know that, you know, as a creator, especially if you're only active on, on one channel, there's always a risk, right, that your channel get banned or the algorithm mm-hmm. stops working for you. Now, of course, building companies is a way to, to stabilize, right, because you, you have other sources of income. And if you build a company really well, you can maybe build it in a way that it can run independently. Um uh, how do your clients like are there other ways that your clients diversify other than building companies? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're, we're YouTube first. We always have been, and I don't want to say always will be because who knows what platform is going to pop up in the next few years, but yeah. uh, we've been YouTube first since 2015 and that's not going to change anytime soon. I still think the crown jewel uh, for content creation is YouTube. And I, I don't see that changing. I think there's areas where you can build an audience quickly and hopefully transition them over to YouTube. We saw that with TikTok. We saw it with Vine, where it's like these creators would blow up on those two platforms and the the ones that had sustainable, like staying power and the ones that are still doing it today, like Logan and Jake Paul, where they were Viners, right? And they're still very prominent on the YouTube space. They did a good job of converting an audience. I think platform diversification is popular. But I, or it's, it's important, but I do think the, the main goal, if you want to turn this into a business is to transition your audience to YouTube as quick as possible. If you really want to have a sustainable business, you need to have a large YouTube audience and you need to be consistent with your content. You need to be focused on creating high quality videos. I think it's awesome to have a big Twitter following or a big Instagram following or a big TikTok following. Um, it's just very difficult to monetize on those three platforms right now. It's very easy on YouTube if you can continually make good videos. Yeah. Um, I've heard you say in other podcast interviews that, you know, one advantage of, of running night media is that you get all these big opportunities, right? Um, the, the, the agency itself, I mean, it's a stable income source, but 
you're at the at the front then there you you see all the opportunities in the market can you maybe share some of those opportunities that you've taken in the past yeah, I think one is is just creating a twenty million dollar venture fund. <laughs> I, I understood pretty early on that you know if to 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 be like a, a talent manager, if you want to be one of the top talent managers, the thing that that really comes with that is access, right? You get access to angel investing or interesting deals that you can invest in, which then in turn turned into our venture firm. You get access to creators that want to be entrepreneurs that want to create businesses that now you are kind of in the driver's seat to help them execute those businesses. Um, Mr. Beesberger, um, just to kind of go back to that business, that was a business where the, our operating partner came to us for Jimmy and I to invest in a restaurant that they were launching in LA. Hmm. And we ended up not getting involved in that restaurant. And this was before COVID, but we ended up not getting involved in that restaurant. Um, but then we we shortly after learned that they were also, they, they had this division that was called VDC, which is Virtual Dining Concepts, which Jimmy and I were like, wait, um, we don't want to invest in this restaurant, but tell us about VDC because that now sounds interesting. That's like a just an interesting you know, access point that happened um, just because like people you know, want Jimmy or myself to invest in their businesses. And then all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Beesberger spawned out of that conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the, um, so we work with a lot of YouTubers in online education, right? Particularly uh, language education. And we always talk about the importance of collecting email addresses, right? I mean, this is... Mm -hmm. uh, digital marketing uh, 101 everybody always talks about how important it is to get email addresses now i see how that works for uh youtube channels or people who are solving a problem right somebody wants to learn spanish you capture the email address you sell them a spanish course now for for your clients um your clients are mostly in entertainment right um, uh yeah digital entertainment digital entertainment how important is it to be directly to be able to directly contact the, the viewers? Like, is this something that that you spend time on? Do you think somebody like Mr. B should find ways to, to collect email addresses or to contact their audience in, in, in different ways? Yeah, so I, it's a long-winded answer, I guess, but uh, let me try and make it, I guess, simple. So what we do is, like, yeah, we collect emails through their Shopify it's called Shop Mr. Beast. It's a website mm -hmm. where we sell merchandise and other items. And we've collected a lot of email addresses uh, to contact people directly. And we do email marketing. We do different newsletters mm -hmm. through those um, through those emails that we've collected. We also use another service called Community. Um, I'm sure some people have heard of it where uh, we can send out a number and then his fans can text that number. And then Jimmy can text them either individually or as a group or we can even um, break it down to location. So you can text the ones that are based in say California. Yeah. And so we've used both of those to collect uh, information on who our users are and to be in contact directly with them. Yeah. But I'll still say like, yes, that's valuable, but the most valuable aspect when we're trying to sell a product or trying to launch something is just him talking about it on YouTube <laughs> and telling people to go check it out or go purchase it. Um, that's been the most valuable thing for us is just that massive audience that we can just drive traffic to anything. I mean, we've collected a lot of information like Mr. Beastburger has its own app, right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, we've, you know, we have a lot of orders through Mr. Beastburger on a monthly basis. So we can talk directly to those people. We can send them notifications on their phone, but it's still more valuable for us. I think to just film a video on YouTube and tell people like, 
to go purchase. Um, the conversion's much higher than us just doing an email marketing campaign. Yeah, I guess the good thing about what you're doing is that you're not just collecting email addresses, but you're collecting email addresses of the buyers, right? Mm -hmm. Who are always who are always more likely to buy even more. Um, okay, so maybe you're not directly asking them for email addresses, but you know, if they want to download Finger on the app or the app for the Mr. Yep. Beesburg, or when they buy your merch, there's always to, um, well. To, to get their email addresses and basically be able to contact them directly, right? Um, yeah, a, a few more questions here. Actually, these questions come from, from our listeners. So you work with these 15 whales. What mm -hmm. makes them so successful on YouTube? Why are they performing better than, than everybody else? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. So What, one thing when you look at our, our whole roster, I think one thing that really stands out that you wouldn't see if you just like went on our website, but most of our clients have been doing this seven, eight, nine years. I mean, they've had long careers. It's not like Mr. Beast blew up out of nowhere. Uh, he's been filming videos since he was 13 years old. You can scroll back on his Mr. Beast channel and watch him filming Minecraft videos when he was 15. Right. And so a lot of our clients have had long careers where they've over the course of those, say, 10 years, they've learned what content performs well, who my fan base is, what type of content they want. And then they've taken it. Most of our creators have taken it a step further and they're like, what is YouTube's algorithm like in terms of video length, in terms of thumbnail, in terms of title? And how can I optimize my content best suited for that? And so a lot of our clients, actually most of our clients now really pay attention uh, to the data inside their dashboard. They really pay attention to two things. One is average view duration of on average, like what percentage of that video is a consumer watching. And then the other one is called CTR, which means click through rate, which if the video gets a hundred impressions, um, how many people are actually clicking on that video based on that title and thumbnail? Those are like the two things that our clients really pay attention to. And we found out like that's how YouTube is suggesting content. Whatever has high AVD and high CTR is really like what's getting suggested. And so that's one thing that's made a lot of our clients successful is just really understanding why videos do well on YouTube and how they can best optimize for that. What about when it comes to mindset? Like, do you, do you see a difference in mindset when you talk to Jimmy? compared to talking to a, a regular YouTuber? Mm -hmm. um, I would say the mindset across most of our client roster is you can tell that they absolutely love this. Like there's nothing else that they'd want to be doing. I think the one thing that's really worried me over the last three years is, you know, the Forbes list comes out and it's like X creator made this much money and this much money and a lot. Like I worry that people are getting into this industry because they think they can get rich and they think they can make a lot of money. That's not why you should get into this industry. You should get into this industry because you one like love content creation, love making videos, really enjoy like this whole digital media ecosystem and creator economy. If you look at all of our clients, that's why they're in this industry. They absolutely love it. They did it in 20. 14 when there wasn't a lot of money being made and people questioned why people were watching other people's live stream on Justin TV or twitch.com they didn't care they were just like I love playing Call of Duty and Minecraft and I love people watching my content and so that's one thing is is you just look at mindset and that's something like people can see when they when you listen to a Mr Beast interview or see him talk to like the Casey Neistat thing I think is a great interview for uh, people that haven't watched that with Mr Beast and Casey 
you can just tell that he absolutely loves this. He consumes this content or this type of content 24 seven and everything that he does revolves around his YouTube and being the biggest creator in the world. Um, he gives away a lot of money. He doesn't really care how much money he's currently making. It's all about like how much, like how good can my content be? How big of videos can I make? And that's what's really made him and all our other clients so successful. Yeah, just for, just for our listeners, because I mean, Best of Beast is super famous in the US, um, also in Europe. But most people that I know don't know who Mr. Beast is. I don't know about our listeners, but yeah, he does some crazy stuff, right? Like giving away a million dollars. Um, yeah. Like picking somebody up or dry, signing up as an as a, as a Uber driver, picking somebody up in a Lamborghini, and then at the end of the ride, the customer keeps the Lamborghini. Um, giving away homes, all these crazy things, tipping $10,000 in a restaurant. Um, mm -hmm. how do, do you know how they come up with, with all these crazy ideas? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's in his head. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy has a ton of ideas that he wants to execute on. I think the, the issue that we've run into is how long does this video take to film? And when we get done filming it, is it high enough quality for him to post it or does it just get thrown in the trash? That's that's become the the issue. Not really like, do we have enough good ideas to execute on? What's the percentage of video that you throw in the trash? Um, it's definitely lower than it was in 2018 and 2019 because we have a more like robust team internally that helps them execute. But I would say there's like 20%, maybe a little higher of videos still never see the light of day. Yeah. Well, that's uh, expensive if you give away so much, uh, so much money. We, yeah, we, yeah. We see people like Mr. Beast having multiple channels, right? We have Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast Gaming, Mr. Beast. Um, what else do we have? Beast Reacts, um, Beast Philanthropy. Yeah, exactly. I I thought that um, it's time to 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 start a second channel once your content is for a different audience. It's not for the same audience anymore. Is that how you guys go about creating multiple channels or when is it the right time to start a second channel? I don't know if there's ever a right time to start a second channel. I think that's on a creator by creator basis if they think they have enough time to, to put time into another channel. I think for us, um, or at least in Jimmy's case, he wanted, he always wanted to have a gaming channel, mm -hmm. right? Like he always wanted to have a channel where he could play Minecraft or Grand Theft Auto with the boys and they could just have a good time. Obviously that content doesn't fit on the main channel, nor would they ever post it on the main channel. So it was like a no brainer. Hey, we need a gaming channel. Um, the reacts channel was, was something that he had this idea years ago where he just wanted to react to funny videos across the internet. Uh, and it ended up catching steam and they just kept it. But again, I think the question is, if you want to start a second channel, like is the content differentiated enough to warrant a yeah. second channel? And then the next question is like, and do I have enough time in the day <laughs> to dedicate to that channel where it's also the quality that I expect it to be? But I, I, I don't think a lot of people should operate second channels or mm. third channels. It's a lot of work. Uh, if Jimmy didn't have a team helping him execute on those, there's no way he could do it. Yeah. So we do, a, and I have an idea here, which I want to share with you. I want to know what you think about it. We have, um, we work with somebody who has a, well, pretty big YouTube channel, three, three and a half million. Mm -hmm. um, and um, last year in May, he basically, he started a new channel 
and he started publishing the same videos that he was publishing on the main channel, but then with Spanish subtitles. And he called it just the name of his channel and then En Español in Spanish, right? And that channel grew from zero to 700k subscribers in a year. Um, is that something that you've seen other people do? That you see other people do in the industry? Is that something that Mr. Yeah. Beast could do? Mr. Beast and Español, hard and bad Spanish subtitles and just launch a channel and see what happens with it? Or Yeah, so we've tested this. We've tested it, you know, subbed uh, with subtitles and we're actually testing it uh, dubbed right now. So I, I think the future, at least for our clients that we think can be successful in other markets is actually dubbing the content and taking time to... Uh, get voice actors to come in and film or record those voice sessions uh, instead of just subbing. And the reason for that is like our audience is, it's not like kids by any means, but it's still young. And does the 13, 14 year old, you know, want to read subtitles? I think yeah. they'd rather watch a, like a decently dubbed video. And so we're taking a lot of steps as a company right now uh, to dub a lot of the videos or a lot of the creators that we think can be uh, successful in those markets. That's really interesting. So that is actually an idea, something that you guys are experimenting Mm with. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You can, I think a good example too is um, I'm sure if you haven't heard of Ryan's world, it's one of the biggest kids channels or the biggest kids channel, not a hundred percent sure. They do have a, a channel in Japan um, they have a channel, um, they have a Spanish channel as well, and they both do incredibly well. Yeah. Um, and I think they're both dubbed right now, not subbed. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I, I have a three-year-old son, and he watches Vlad and Nikki. I think he's just a bit bigger than Mr. Beast. Mm-hmm. He's like number 12 or 13. Um, and they have multiple channels in multiple languages, and they dub everything. Um, yep. Yeah, we, we're going to... We're going to see if that's going to work for your clients as well. Um, just for our listeners, if you haven't thought about this yet, um, maybe try it out. Now, final topic here for this interview. Let's talk a bit about the future because I've heard you talking on other podcasts where you say or where you, you, you think that this creator industry is going to be the next big thing, right? Um, the, the creators in 2021, they might be the new Nickelodeon, the new TV networks. Can you, can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, we're already there. Uh, I, I, you know, Nickelodeon's losing viewership. And I, I think this all stems from something that I thought about pretty early on in, in 2018, 2019, is I thought that, you know, over the last 50 years, like loyalty had really been to corporations and companies. I, you know, when I was growing up, I was loyal to Nickelodeon. I was loyal to Nike. I was loyal to McDonald's. There's like a, there's been like a paradigm shift over the last few years where loyalty is really now to the individual. Right. Like kids are growing up not being loyal to Nickelodeon. They're loyal to like Ryan's world or they're loyal to Preston or Unspeakable or Mr. Beast. And they're not really wearing Nike like they're wearing, you know, shot Mr. Beast clothing or they're wearing phase merchandise. Um, And now now they're like ordering food from Mr. Beast Burger instead of McDonald's or Burger King, because they would rather order a hamburger from someone whose content they consume on a daily basis. That's authentic, that they trust. Um, outside of this corporation. And so I think it's really a, the bigger question is like, do we think the next 25 to, to 30 years are going to continue to be loyal to the individual, which I think they are? That's the big shift that we're going to see, um, whether that's public markets, private markets. And I think creators are just uniquely positioned right now to take advantage of that. 
So, I mean, I, I love what you guys and, and your clients do. I think it's fascinating to have such big YouTube channels, so many views from all over the world. Like personally, um, I like smaller channels, but solving big problems, right? And then selling expensive products on the back of that. Where are you in, in that game? Like, would you prefer having a small niched audience that wants to buy a solution from you or you rather go for being big, um, famous, do sponsorship, maybe also build companies on top of that. Where are you on that? Uh, it works for both, and we represent both. Uh, we represent, obviously, Mr. Beast, but we also represent Harrison Neville, who's, uh, if you look at just his channel, he's on the smaller side of over a million, but not, you know, three to four million, but he is the biggest in the sneaker space. Um, so everyone goes to him for any information about new sneakers or purchasing sneakers. That's like a channel that, you know, probably won't ever get to 10 million subs, but that audience is so specific to that, to that, that genre, to the like sneaker culture. And so we do see a lot of value in these little, um, these smaller YouTube channels that are really curated to a specific audience. So I think if you're like, if you're a micro creator, you can still build a massive business. It just all comes down to like, can you build a, a big enough audience in that space that you could either build a business around or monetize? Um, so even on the night media end, you'll see us probably sign a few more clients that people might be like, wow, that's not a very big channel, but we just know their audience. Even if yeah. it's only a hundred thousand people, those are a hundred thousand individuals that are super focused on that one niche. Yeah. Do you think that YouTubers or creators need to have um, a minimum size audience to, to pull off like a big project like Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast Burger or to create software? Where do, you, where do you think, do you think there's a minimum for that? Mm. I don't know if there's a minimum for a virtual dining concept like Mr. Beast Burger that's like scaled now, like we're at 650 locations worldwide. That's going to take a big audience to pull off because the scale of that business is so large um, to pull off like a, a software business or something like that. No, not really. Um, you could have 50,000 or 10,000 loyal followers that will do whatever you say and that trust you. And you could build a awesome business, um, with staying power around that, that distribution. Um, I don't, I don't think so. I, I do think that software is tricky and it's expensive and I'm, I'm curious to see how creators will navigate it over the next few years. Cause I know it just, it has the most upside. Hmm. Do you have a final piece of advice or something that you want to recommend to YouTubers with an audience under 5 million? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for YouTube, it, it all comes down to a few things you know, that I think people should really think about is like, what do I want out of this? I, I'm guessing if you have 5 million subscribers at this point, you probably really love it. Even if you have a million subscribers, you probably really love it. You know, for me, it's like, just really focus on like what you enjoy to do, like what type of content never, you know, I've seen some people in the past who create content they absolutely hate just to grow as a creator. And for some, like for some people that's fine. But I think like for a smaller creator, like I'd, I'd rather them focus on things that truly make them happy and stay on that path um, than just go down the money path. And I know I talked about this earlier is I'm just a little concerned that, you know, people are going to choose the the get rich. I want to be a content creator to get rich, not that I want to be a content creator and be in the creator ecosystem because I love it. Yeah. So hopefully most people at that, you know, that listen to this podcast are in that mindset now of like, I absolutely just love this. Let's see how far I can take it. All right. 
Reed, thanks for sharing all your insights on the podcast here. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they go? Um, uh, probably my Twitter or my Instagram. It's just ReedJD on both um, or nightmedia.com and feel free to send us a note. All right, we're going to check it out. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks for listening to this episode. And if you like this episode, then please give it a positive rating in whatever podcast app that you're using. And if you want to listen to other interviews or just learn more about what we do, then make sure to go to our website, creatorsmart.com. See you on the next episode. Ciao.